a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. with your hormones. How often do you think about where you're at in the life cycles of hormones? I mean, there's puberty, childbearing years, perimenopause. Did you even know that was a thing? Then of course, there's menopause. In today's episode, we look at what's happening in each of these stages. So let's start with puberty at the beginning. When does it actually start these days? Well, it's getting earlier and earlier and that's Mm. for, that is because of a magnitude of reasons. One of the main ones being that our estrogen is so high just collectively yep. because of environmental factors, mm-hmm. our food. Um, Are you going to say chickens? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> chickens, I think, was more, we've got a little bit more smart. But, yes, and a lot of people are very um, aware of the whole chicken factor, but they might not be aware that, mm. I don't know, their body products might be yep. um, increasing their oestrogen or their oh, yeah, diet might be or um, their stress levels or whatever it might be. Um, so I think, yes, we are going through puberty earlier and earlier and we are blaming a lot, lot of those environmental factors for that. Um, but, you know... I think the reality is that we need to have these conversations and I feel like there's even gaps missing for especially young women. Oh, yeah. You know, like it's especially, and it depends on, and I know we've had this conversation before, but it also depends on what type of education you had. Yes. Sex ed for me was very much, you know, you you need to be careful all the time because you can fall pregnant (laughs) at any time and that's that. So be really careful. Whereas, well, we now know that... Well, I know a different anyway, is that mm. there's only a, a handful of days in a month that you can actually fall pregnant. But for young women, I think, again, these women should be using barrier methods because contraception isn't necessarily protecting them from STDs, and that's a big factor yeah, as well to consider. So, I, you know, I don't care if a young woman is on some form of synthetic contraception. She should also be using mm. a barrier method that's going to stop that from happening, and that conversation needs to be had as well. But I think more than anything, we need to be the example for our children and mm-hmm. for others around us. I think at the age of, let's say, you know, 16, 17 there is very few teenagers that like to be told what to do. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yep. So I think it does become about being the example. That's a time that they go and explore. That's a time that they rebel. You can't chain them to a chair. It's going to have the opposite effect. And I think as, you know, women, we mm-hmm. need to be an example to those that are coming, you know, behind us. Yeah. And, and that, I think, is actually more profound than, you know, preaching to them. Yeah, of course. So, but if we go back to when puberty actually happens, and so I think, what is it? It's like eight or nine or something it can start as early Mm. as now. I know. I am seeing, you know, I am seeing changes in Olivia, no doubt. And she is so not worldly already. Mm. Mm. Um, She's, she's little. Yeah. And, you know, I know. So it's, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I think changes start to happen from around, I think girls around eight, I think is common. doesn't mean that everything happens when they're eight, but Mm. no Chinese medicine adapts the idea of everything happening in cycles. So eight year cycles for women and seven year cycles for men. Okay. So if the eight year cycle then for women encompasses puberty, what was that, like 8 to 16 yeah, sort of? Yeah, And then your your fertility then is the next phase of that. Yeah. And then, you know, having 
post children is the next phase and then you perimenopause and then menopause and you can kind of see that it roughly yeah, of course. does go in eight year it cycles. Does. So then what can you do to support what are the things that happen in puberty? Mood changes, bad skin. I mean obviously the physical side of things which you can't do anything about except, you know, adapt. True, like your period, you mean? Yeah, and you know, breasts. Breasts sort of and thing. and yeah. BO. Let's oh, face joy. It. Gosh. <laughs> I coach the basketball team. Oh, stinky meninky. Oh, my goodness. And then they tell me that boys are worse than girls. I'm bracing myself for those days. (laughs) (laughs) But is there something that, uh, yeah, what can you do? Like if... Do you you need to do anything if if your teenager is going through puberty? I think when a girl first starts showing symptoms of change, it's about embracing the change and, and talking about it. And I've already had those conversations with Olivia that, you know, she'll say to me, Mummy, what is this that's going on? And I'll say, well, that's just what happens as you get older. That's something that happens to all women as they get older. And she is okay with that. So I think just starting to have that conversation mm. from the time that it starts to happen, um, for, especially for young girls, if there's symptoms that come, that is your cue to go, mm, okay, is this normal or is this something I need yeah. to look into? I actually think the biggest concern is girls that aren't getting their period. Uh-huh. If you're getting your period, great. Your body's doing the right thing and that can happen any time sort of from around eight, I, although oh, you don't no, want it don't to happen that eight. early. <laughs> but, you know, 13 is an average age, yeah, yeah. right? But um, if, if you know, I think if there is a lot of acne, if there's a lot of period pain, if the periods are missing, these are things to explore. Uh-huh. And again, the pill is not a solution. Um, we need to look at why it's happening. And it's because generally some type of hormone imbalance, which is fixable, mm. treatable, very mm-hmm. easy. So, you know, this is when you would invest in getting some help, I think, if it's outside of the norm. Teenagers are going to get acne. That's a normal thing to happen. It's when it's a lot of it and it becomes a problem that you might look into it. If there's a couple of spots every month, that's okay. Heck, I still get a couple of spots every oh, month. Oh, gosh, me too. <laughs> In fact, I was looking at some photo albums I found the other day under the house at my parents and um, I went looking for them specifically because they were from when I went overseas when I was 20 and went to Europe. And I was looking at these photos and I thought, I had the worst skin. I was 20 and it was like that teenage acne had hit me late <laughs> or something. <laughs> but I had no idea. No idea. And I wonder, would that have been a hormone thing? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's normally too much estrogen. Yeah. Because if you rewind 100 years, I don't think acne was actually an issue. I don't think it was. I have no evidence right here and now to say that. But there's lots of modern problems that are a result of imbalanced hormones. So again, it can be from testosterone as well. So if there is, you know, excess testosterone in the body, but we tend to see that alongside of things like facial hair, weight gain. So if it is just on its own, you know, there's lots that you can do to get your oestrogen to at least try and play the game. And, you know, most of that starts with nutrition. How can you eat well to support your hormones, making sure you're in environment isn't full of chemicals is another great place, especially for young girls. You don't want that to be, you know, constantly no. being fed into their bloodstream. It goes straight into your bloodstream, whatever you put on your skin. So, mm. you know, I think we've just got to not fear these symptoms, but actually use them to our advantage. I need to go back and have a chat to myself. Mm. Where's my DeLorean? <laughs> so we move on from puberty then. And, um, I guess, what do we call this, the childbearing years? Yeah, it's when our fertility peaks. And, you know, again, we can see plenty of hormone disruption in this time, but 
really, it's not supposed to be hard or horrible. We make it hard or horrible. We <laughs> Usually by this age we've added stress to the mix and yes. quite a lot of it. Yep. And then that starts to become a factor. It starts to really affect our gut health, which we've spoken about so oh, many yes. times. But if you can't absorb nutrients, you can't expect your hormones to work properly. But at the same time, stress has that same impact on your digestive system that antibiotics and medications do. So, you know, it's coming from every direction. But I think that if you are experiencing painful ovulation, painful periods, lack of periods, um, PMS that's crazy, Mm. these are the... And when I say PMS, you know, mood swings, maybe acne, um breast distension or tenderness, nausea, those sorts of symptoms, it is a cue that more than likely progesterone suffering. So mm. how can we support that? You know, it's not hard. Hormones actually aren't as hard as we think they are. We just don't necessarily understand them. And then the way that we look at them um, just from a, a physiological perspective and how we treat that is often not quite right either. So for example... If you're low in progesterone, which many women are, yep. because oestrogen is high, naturally we our minds go to, oh, well, we'll just supplement progesterone, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it doesn't fix the actual problem being high oestrogen. Yeah, It just right. goes and puts progesterone into your body. So it means that some of your symptoms might improve. You might start to sleep a little bit better. You might feel a little bit more like you. But the ovulation pain doesn't change. The period pain doesn't change. The acne doesn't go. The, the irregular periods doesn't change. Mm. So we need to look at, okay, again, same premise. How can we get oestrogen down and, and treat it log- logically? And then do you boost the progesterone? No, or it, just it will does naturally it do that. It will naturally rise. Okay. So on that, um, I was going to ask you about how you know specifically which hormone is playing up, but you, you've just explained that a bit. But well, it could be. There's other <clears throat> hormones at play, but I think let's keep things the basic. The basic ones, yeah. Yeah, and testosterone can really play into that too, and that's mm. when I said, you know, those symptoms are generally quite obvious too because too much of a male hormone in your body or a predominantly male hormone, we need it. We need it to make progesterone. Yep. If we don't have it, we don't make our other hormones, oestrogen uh, as well. So, you know, we need it to be in the right balance though, and those symptoms are pretty obvious when it's not. How can you have too much testosterone? Again, it's normally hereditary. Yeah. Um, we know lots more about genes, you know, but yeah. it's also about our, what are we turning on? What in our environment is turning that on in our body to happen? Yeah, okay. So, you know, our genes are like switches. We can switch them on and off. <laughs> we, we're learning all this. This is just all new science. It's yeah, pretty exciting. It's, it's just making my head explode really? a bit. I now, feel like a broken record. No, it's good. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> it's all making a bit more sense, but the whole genes turning on and off thing, it's a little bit science fiction still, isn't it? To you? Mm, I guess I try and use it to my advantage where possible. Oh, of and course. And so to me it's just, it just is. It's fabulous. Yeah. But it's still, it's like there's a little man in your brain just <laughs> pressing buttons on the keyboard. <laughs> hey, um, talking about, um, this might be a bit basic, dumbing it down for me, but okay, so you've got two women, same age, same sort of profile, but is there a hormonal reason, like a basic hormonal reason why... Lady A has no trouble falling pregnant and Lady B has trouble falling pregnant. Mm-hmm. So, again, all of these things that we're talking about, what are our hormones doing? Yeah. But it still comes back to the basics. Genetics. Yeah. Yeah. Her gut health. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, if again, if she's got holes, for lack of a better word, or they had researched a specific type of bacteria mm-hmm. that helps to metabolise oestrogen. 
So this is another factor in high estrogen. Yeah. So basically scientists have discovered that there's a strain of bacteria that we should have as part of our healthy flora that women who have or some women who have issues metabolising oestrogen are lacking that bacteria strain. And that bacteria strain is thought to have its own set of genes, you ready for this? Oh, dear. That influence our genes. (laughs) So a bacteria is ruling our hormones and our whole gene system. Yeah. So this is they've researched it around breast cancer more than anything because yeah. that is predominantly driven by too much estrogen. estrogen yeah, um, and that's where their interest has been. But for me, it makes sense anyway. So anyway, back to so with gut health. <laughs> yes. Um, how well your liver is detoxifying? Yes. Any form of stress, not necessarily just being busy. That's yes. one form, but any form of stress. So whether it's past feelings and emotions that haven't been mm-hmm. dealt with, um, it comes down to also what what's going on in our mind. Like, yeah. what are we telling ourselves? Our mind is so powerful. We've dug into this idea many times. Even but with falling pregnant, you think? Absolutely, with falling wow. pregnant. Absolutely, because we could set ourselves up to almost believe that it's never going to happen based on the fact that every second person is having an issue falling pregnant. Yep. So already we have this belief that it's not going to happen for ourselves. It's, it, it plays in the psyche back. of it, isn't yeah, there, yeah, out there? absolutely. And maybe the whole availability of IVF has made that more so? Well, I think the, trick, the tricky thing with IVF is that it was once upon a time sold to us as an insurance policy. Yeah, yeah. And it's not. It's not, but I think people still look at it. I think that they way. do. I think they do. And so again, you know, we need to look at the fundamentals mm. before embarking on something like IVF. Now, you might have two women and one might ovulate and one might not, and that can well, be the reason that, one. that's right. That yep. can be the reason that she's not falling pregnant. She might have endometriosis. She yep. might have polycystic ovaries, that's where the genetics come into it. Um, But then also she might just not have actually, her body isn't physically in the right place. No. If you're working 12 hours a day, you're coming home, you're running around like a crazy person, Mm. there is actually physically no room in your life. Mm. And so many women say to me, well, I'll stop doing that once I fall pregnant. <laughs> your body's not Chicken si- and egg. Your body's not silly. It's like, listen here, sister, that's not going to happen until yep. you actually change your ways and make room for that to happen. So, yeah, it's interesting. There's lots of reasons why, mm-hmm. and it's a matter of working out what that is. There's never... I, I don't actually believe there's such a thing as unexplained infertility. Right, I, so... I just don't think someone's looked hard enough. If I came to you and I'd never had a child before mm-hmm. and I wanted to fall pregnant... Um, and I'm almost 40, what's the first thing that you say? Um, I always want to know what someone's done. You know, uh-huh. what have you done? Because I don't want to do the same thing again. That would be, oh, yes. you know, ridiculous. Not like I've walked the Cinque Terre and <laughs> I've sat on the Galapagos Islands. <laughs> no, I mean, what have you Hormonals. done to support your health okay, so yep. far? No, sorry. What have yep. you done to support your health so far? And then I would first, everyone must start with gut. Everyone must because it's useless yeah. otherwise. Okay. It's your it's your emotion centre. It regulates how your you know your thoughts, the gut feeling, all of that. <laughs> um, it, it it if it's got holes in it, for lack of a better description, You're there's just more than avoiding like... saying leaky gut. Aren't you? <laughs> Go on. Yes. If you have some type of yes, something like leaky gut, which yep. most of us actually, let's be honest, oh, are experiencing, so it's an autoimmune condition yep. that can be a big factor. We must fix our digestive health, and I don't think we recognise just how how important nutrients are. I think we know we need them. Yeah. But we don't actually realise what happens if they're not there. 
we kind of just go, oh, well, food, you know, we eat and we tick boxes and it doesn't really work like that because certain things are utilised more under stress. There's certain, you know, other nutrients that are used for other things and we're only learning about all this as well. So that's a, that's where I would start with your gut. gut and then I would work out what else is playing in. Yep. Is your thyroid unhappy? Is it your adrenals? What's your liver doing? Yep. Based on your signs and symptoms. Mm. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. The whole nutrients thing is really interesting because you you're right, we take it for granted, we eat well, we should be getting everything we need or we just, you know, pop a supplement. Mm. That, that should fix the gaps. But did you hear this week that some people in, I think they're in a nursing home, have contracted scurvy for like the first time in 100 years or something, someone's got scurvy, which is a lack of vitamin C. Wow. Yeah. I didn't and, hear this. Yeah, and it's fascinating because they were saying, how can this have happened? These mm. people, you know, they live in a modern society. They've got access to all this food and stuff. But it was just that they've only been fed vegetables that are very well cooked. Yeah. And they don't eat any fruit for whatever reason or they haven't been given vitamin C and so... Wow. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Goodness. I find that fascinating. But, yeah, these things happen. Like, we, we've got to be on it. Okay, so you might not have experienced scurvy and I hope really that you haven't. But I'm betting that you might have experienced PMS in yourself or dealing with someone else with it. We'll take a look at what happens on the inside during that wonderful time after this short break. So the other big thing that plenty of women experience is PMS. I'm going to call it a hormonal hiccup. (laughs) And it does hit some people hard and others not so much, some months worse than others, all that kind of stuff. Now, a lot of doctors do prescribe the pill to combat the symptoms of PMS, don't they? But obviously that's, like you say, not going to the root. No, it's not fixing it, it's just treating the symptom. Yeah. Yes. So I did a little bit of online Google research. Oh, here we go. We'll see what they say. (laughs) So I read that limiting your salt, sugar and caffeine intake can ease the symptoms of PMS because that will stop you bloating as much and that can help for some reason. I guess maybe because you bloat a bit when you... So you tend to hold more fluid leading into the peak times of your hormones at play. So as you lead into ovulation yep. and oestrogen is sort of at its highest, you will your cells retain fluid as a just something that happens. Yep. Um, same goes for when you lead into your period, yeah, which is yeah. when progesterone's when high. So this is when you're yep. feeling bloated. Um, it can also be that there's not enough progesterone. Progesterone helps to move fluid as well oh, okay. in our body. Yep. So I would say that more than likely most mm. women have too much oestrogen, not enough progesterone, and this is why they're having a lot of these symptoms. Um Limiting salt, sugar and caffeine. I don't know so much about salt. Salt used to be the bad guy and then everyone realised, actually, we really need (laughs) it. We just don't need the table salt that's, you Uh know, processed. Um, But sugar is an inflammatory food. Anything that's inflammatory is going to set off that autoimmune response. Mm. It's going to... Pain is inevitable when there is inflammation. Yeah. So that makes sense. If you're avoiding sugar, and I see this for a lot of patients, if you remove the inflammatory foods from their diet. They don't have pain. But fundamentally, what is it? It's just some type of stress. It's another type of stress stress. on your body. So, you know, again, I wish there was another word for it, (laughs) for stress (laughs) that was like categorised all these things, but there's not. Um, We basically need to look at what a stressor is in that time for you and remove what that is. So also too, I mean, that's pretty basic saying remove sugar and caffeine and the inflammatory stuff. And 
that would have to be a long-term thing, I'm guessing. You wouldn't just go, oh, I've got a bit, bit of PMS, I won't have a chocolate bar and I'll skip my coffee today. I still think it's treating the symptom, not the problem. Yeah. It's... The problem is low progesterone, generally, remember. Mm, okay. So yep. we need to look at how can we get your oestrogen down, but at the same time, we often crave sugar at, you know, PMS yeah. phase yeah, of our cycle. Yep. So why is that? What is my body asking for? Very often it's mm. asking, you know, often most women crave chocolate and there's been studies to suggest or that have suggested that we do that because we actually, our body needs more magnesium at that time. Mm. And one of the components of true cacao is magnesium. So there's lots of ideas. But I think also, again, our body, we misinterpret cravings all the time. You know, our body's asking for things and we're like, oh, yeah, sugar. And, you know, it's probably asking for broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it needs to clarify. Yeah, I know. It's a bit of a design fault, but anyway. it definitely is. Yes, don't worry. I actually, (laughs) on the way to the studio this morning, I had a moment I think you say I had a Mars bar. No, I didn't have. No, but I did have a moment where I went, oh, a hash brown. No, what? <laughs> oh, see, what I'm a thinking? wild fan of potato cakes. So, so maybe it was. I don't know. There's some potato cake, fatty, yeah, salty something. goodness it's... in that whole. Anyway, let's get back to yes. being healthy and good. Mm. So that's all good. Someone alerted me to the fact that there is a thing called perimenopause just recently. Mm hmm. This does not sound fair at all. I did not realise this is a thing. I thought menopause, yes, that's off in the distance and we don't have to worry about that just yet. But perimenopause, what's that? Well, that's the change that starts to occur where our hormones begin to decline in the lead up to menopause. Mm-hmm. Generally starts from around 35 years of age. No. <laughs> Um, I don't know about you, but I I can definitely feel the changes that have happened in my body. I tend to blame them on stress, though. I don't think that I'm perimenopausal, but I probably what, am. What changes, though? Um, I just get, I guess, changes in my skin, mm. changes in oh, my... Oh, yeah, I look at my hands now cycles. and they're starting to look like old like, lady hands. You know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, you look at a picture of yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, there's a couple more wrinkles than what they were this time last year, mm. um, which I'm fine with, but I, I definitely... Wisdom lines. Yeah, those, mm, those. Mm. I think I smile too hard. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Do you but, have a good smile? Yeah, but I think it is, and, and progesterone actually starts to taper off before estrogen does. So menopause is that really that moment where estrogen is supposed to decline. Uh-huh. Um, but perimenopause is actually the decline more so of your progesterone. So is this also too where, so from 35 to 40, say, where you've got that window where a lot of women are like, oh, I want to try and have a baby. This is my last hope. But their bodies started to go through perimenopause. So you're sort of like having a battle between... We know fertility declines over time. There's yeah. no question um, to that. But, yeah, I think this is, you know, we know that our egg quality declines in that time because uh-huh. our hormones change. It's it's supposed to be that way. It's not like it's a design yeah, yeah. fault. It's it's setting us up for the next, you know, eight yeah. years, <laughs> the <laughs> next right. transition. So I think that doesn't mean that there's like a, a definite change. I think things just do gradually change. Mm. Many women up to 45 fall pregnant, no problem. And, I, you know, I think the other thing that's interesting is that women have a greater chance of falling pregnant naturally as they get older than what they do with assisted conception. No-one's talking about that. fascinating, isn't it? But did you used to watch Pack to the Rafters? Julie Rafter got pregnant in her 40s. (laughs) (laughs) A friend of my mum's had her first baby at 47. 
Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? Oh no. How don't do that. Bizarre your life would be. I mean if that's what you want to do, but I just feel like, you know, <clears throat> there's there's a time and a place. But that's yeah, I think that I can see women who are forty and they look like they're thirty. Yeah. And that to me is a pretty good indication of what's going on on the inside. Yeah. Right. Doesn't mean they've gone and had Botox and fillers. They actually are, are young on useful. the inside. That's yes. right. And I think if we look after ourselves, um, we've had a much better chance of conception at any age, really. Mm. You put your best foot forward, you do the right thing, your chances are going to be higher than if you're not doing that no matter what your yeah, age. Yeah, well, like anything with your body, isn't mm. it? Yeah. So the hot flushes and the night sweats can start during many pre- uh, Perimenopause. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> but the uh, the big thing that concerns me is memory problems. I did not know that when you go through menopause and even perimenopause, your memory starts to go. Guess why? Why? Progesterone. Oh, God. <laughs> progesterone. Oh. Progesterone like also. I know. See, see. Progesterone oh. um, also has an impact on your thyroid, and your yeah. thyroid yeah. is very much uh, at play with with you know regulating your whole body, and that is why the symptoms can be so wide and varied as well. Have they ever just decided to give um, estrogen to people with Alzheimer's to see if it makes a difference? Ah, I don't know. Oh, I should be a scientist. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. (laughs) You've missed your calling. (laughs) So when people say baby brain when people are pregnant, that's got to be a real thing, surely. Does it ever leave, though? No. But (laughs) I remember a doctor saying a while ago, I read something where they said, oh, no, it's not actually a thing. People say it but it's tiredness and it's all the other things associated with being pregnant. But no way. I mean, if your hormones are doing backflips and working so hard to create a little person, there's no They're way working pretty that hard. your Progest- memory can't True, and progesterone increases whilst you're pregnant, but you're, you're supplying many things. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much of this stuff we, we still don't fully understand. Mm. Um, but I think if we can understand the fundamentals, we can fill in the gaps, which is always fun. Which brings us to something that can be helpful to some women, perimenopause and menopause, and that's HRT. Yes. Which I say like that because I kind of feel like it's got a bad rap, but then maybe it deserves a bad rap, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. I still think at the end of the day, if we're doing our best to balance our hormones in our 20s, 30s, 40s, mm. that menopause should not be this massive event. It should just be but a it transition. Is, isn't it? That's yes. the way it's perceived. Because our hormones are imbalanced, because estrogen is so high, many women go through menopause for 10 plus years. So Again, it's for me, I'm always looking at the other side, right? And it does. It comes down to how can you get your estrogen down? Mm. How can you get your stress down? Mm. You know, at menopause, what's supposed to happen is that your ovaries pass on their job to your adrenals. So right. your adrenals are what are secreting your stress hormones. Uh-huh. Now, if your adrenals They're are busy. working <laughs> overtime already, <laughs> yeah. they can't do that. And your ovaries are like, here, have the, have, have the, have the oh, ball. I'm too busy. Have the ball. I can't have it. And so, so we're... This transition is taking a really long time. I think the other issue is that many women, um, and there's no judgment here, but I don't think we're given this information, have partial hysterectomies or they have their, or a full hysterectomy and they mm. take their ovaries out. Their ovaries be, um, begin to form or perform, I should say, different job once 
menopause happens. So, you know, they're there for a reason and their role changes, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. So the role of the ovaries change and, yeah, again, so HRT can help women, of course, Mm. um, but, again, how long is a piece of string? Like, how long do you need to be on it for? How do you know when you can come off it? A lot of women are on it for a really long time because they just don't know what's going to happen. I just don't think it's fixing the hormone imbalance. And any medication, as we know, Mm. is going to continue to wear away the digestive health, which becomes a long-term problem too. Uh, So, you know, it's not to say that you shouldn't. It's just to say, let's get the information what else is going on? Mm. How can we lead your body towards more of a homeostatic state to help to treat your symptoms and the problem? Well, I've heard that, like in Asian cultures, women don't really suffer very many symptoms at all when it comes to menopause. So perhaps that's a diet-driven thing? Absolutely. And I think it's also a stress-driven thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of these cultures, even... You know, in China, you have a baby and you're on bed yes, rest. I know, I love for it. a really long time. <laughs> love we it. don't do that. We're up walking around the, oh, the supermarket yep. three or four days later doing the grocery shopping. Yep, that's right. So we don't nurture ourselves. I don't think enough as women, and it seems like there's this stigma to it that you're not doing enough that's unless right. you're doing everything. Yeah, and yeah. and how dare you have you time? Yeah. How luxurious. How dare you be a human being and have the things that you need? So I think we need to talk about that more and get comfortable with, you know, not just fixing hormones, but how can we actually yeah. be more healthy in general? Well, I found this great article called uh, Everything You Wanted to Know About Menopause, which was very helpful. So thank you, Anna Maxted, who wrote it. Uh, she, in it, she said, though, admitting that you're menopausal is to admit, a friend says, that you're a dried-up witch and, there's, <laughs> and <laughs> there is no hot flush camaraderie. Oh, my goodness. That's not very nice. <laughs> she also says that um, anxiety, edginess and low mood are classic perimenopausal symptoms, which you say, you know, having stress makes it worse, but then those things create stress. So it's such a sort of circle, isn't it? It it is. It's a fine line. There's also other, you know, modalities that help to treat menopause. Chinese medicine is phenomenal for treating menopause. In what Um, way? What do you prescribe? um, Again, looking at the individual Mm. and treating... In a general sense. In a general sense. Well, (laughs) you know, we use herbal medicine to help Uh with hot flushes, but that, again, it's not generic. It's not like I would be able to say, oh, you're here, go and take that. I would more than likely make something that's appropriate for her Mm. or there are specific formulas based on, you know, are your hot flushes all day or are they just at night? Do you feel hot or cold when it happens? Like there's all sorts of other things that go with it. So Chinese medicine profiles all those things. It's, you know, are you clammy? Is it a rising heat or is it just a full-on, you know, there's lots of ways that we would look at it and then diagnose it according to those signs and symptoms. Um, Herbal medicine, again, Mm. not necessarily Eastern, but just Western herbal medicine um, has, you know, some amazing um, things on offer to help to treat menopause. Mm -hmm. I think the issue long-term with treating symptoms is especially if you're using drugs, mm. there's always another side effect. And then there's another drug and another side effect. Yeah. And that can, you can, I can see people that might be on 12 different lots of medication. Yeah, to combat and, each other. And I can hand on heart say, if we get you off these medications, your symptoms are not going to be there. Now, you can't just stop. That's dangerous. It mm. needs to be under the care of your, mm. your GP or your specialist. But I would always work towards someone being on the lowest to no dose of something with no symptoms. That's always my aim. Mm. So, you know, you, you sort of start to chase your tail when you treat symptoms. 
I mean, so it's different mean if it's you have a sporadic headache, you know, that's yeah. going to happen sometimes. Or you might have an odd month where you do have period pain. It doesn't mean that that's going to be now forever. Mm. That's okay. But mm. it's when something is constant or consistently there that we need to address it. And maybe that's why I'm more of a symptom treater because I've never had something yeah. chronic. Yeah, yeah like that. But yeah, it is It is very interesting. Mm. So the only other thing I think we need to talk about uh, is the two elements of menopause and I guess all hormonal situations and that's that there is the physical side and the mental side. And it's okay to accept that the mental side of things is just part of the process because again, we always have the stigma about, you know, mental health and so on. You're going to love this. <laughs> so, not only is progesterone responsible for those physical Damn you, aspects, <laughs> responsible for the mental um, aspects mm. very often as well. I believe Again, that. because it also um, regulates well, it regulates serotonin yep. and um, what's the other one? Dopamine. Yep. The feel good hormones. Uh-huh. So, if naturally, if that's not instigating those to be released, then we're not going to feel amazing, are we? We don't have the love hormones there. Um, again, that impact on your thyroid. So this is also why we might see weight gain in th- at this time, which, yep. again, is not great for your mental. Nope. But then we, what do we do? We go, oh, I've gained weight. I need to slog it out at the gym. I'm not exercising enough. I'm eating too much. And that's not the problem. The problem is the hormone imbalance. So it still comes back to your hormones again. And there's Lots more hormones than just progesterone and estrogen. Mm. But if we can understand those better and you don't necessarily want to invest the next six years to getting a, you know, <laughs> post-grad st- or a, a degree in all of these things, I think that the fundamentals are really important for us to understand and this is what we're not being taught. Do you think, though, with the physical symptoms of menopause, there are some coping strategies? So say, you know, the hot flushes particularly. Think about if you're a professional like you, you're in your clinic, you're talking to someone and all of a sudden... It just happens and you are melting because you are so hot. I don't have an answer for that because I haven't been through it. Ah, okay. And I really find it hard to actually be able to give people answers. I treat menopause in the doctor. clinic, but <laughs> I know, right? I treat menopause in the clinic, but mm. if I can't get a, a, you know, quick changes, I will refer them on to someone else who treats menopause all the time and has yep. been through it. Oh, so when you go through it, you're going to have a whole raft of uh, new experiences that you can pass on? Possibly. I don't see a lot of menopause in the clinic. No. I know a bit about, you know, I know enough about it, um, but I see more younger women's health and f- fertility issues. Yep. So as a coping mechanism, I really don't know what I would say to somebody. I, I, I don't, I can't imagine it feels great. Well, breathing apparently yeah, is the thing to do. You, you know, like your yoga breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth. So to slow your body down and to get you back on track, which is, that applies to everything. Like you say, you know, labour, stress, your your children, your children. (laughs) Oh yeah, not eating their dinner. Anyway. Wow. I feel so educated. Excellent. Thank you. I feel like I've done a lot of talking today. Well, you have. I mean, but we have covered a lot of topics and now we know about stress and we know about what's actually happening with those hormones and we know about pesky progesterone. Oh, he's a bad guy, hey? So if you want to know more, please head to natkringudis.com or email us info at natkringudis.com.au and please head and rate us. We love ratings. The more stars, the better. That makes us happy. Thanks for joining us for this very enlightening episode of The Wellness collective we love bringing you topics to help you be happier healthier and better